I'm Casey. And I'm Samantha. And we're the hosts of True Crime Storytime, a podcast for all things true crime. We will be bringing you fortnightly episodes covering everything from murder and mysteries, disappearances, theft and fraud, abductions and kidnappings, and more importantly, trying to take a lesson away from each case because every story has a message. Between 1977 and 1987, more than 130 refugees who fled to America from Southeast Asia died in their sleep, in most cases after crying out in terror. This string of mysterious deaths inspired Wes Craven's 1984 slasher film A Nightmare on Elm Street, featuring iconic horror villain Freddy Krueger. This is based on a true crime. And welcome to the very last full episode of October. We have an extra spooky, extra special one in store for you. But first, I wanted to talk about the promo for this week. So this week, the promo is for True Crime Storytime. They're a new podcast, but it's uh, two familiar voices if you listen to Just Another Murder podcast. They're really great. They're just getting started, but I've listened to their first episode, and I think their second episode is dropping today. So I'm excited to give it a listen, and hopefully you guys will too. We also have some new reviews. Uh coincidentally one is from the girls at true crime Storytime, and we also got another five-star review from dumb ravioli we got a four-star review from fires fox who likes the podcast but sadly does not like my laugh so i've told david to be less funny and charming in this week's episode and we will see how it goes and i've told chelsea to laugh more I'm just going to change up my laugh. I think I'm going to go, you know, now that Halloween's almost over, I'm going to go with like a ho, 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 ho. Oh, I Did love I like that. It. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Yes. All right. Why don't you tell everyone our correct guesses for this week, David? Yeah, we had uh, some correct guesses on Facebook. We had Lisa Wilson. Thank you. Also, Chippy TFT on Twitter. Yeah. Thank you so much. You should give her, start giving her prizes i think she's the best at this game yeah you get a gold star um and also aims in wonderland on instagram so thank you so much uh for guessing correctly we love the participation with you guys also chelsea did you know well i guess you did know listeners did you know we have merchandise Yes, we do. We set up a Redbubble shop. So yeah, if you are interested in being a walking advertisement for our brand, uh, head to our Redbubble shop. I posted the links on Facebook and Twitter, but it's just boatcpodcast.redbubble.com. We've got some cool shirts and mugs and tote bags. And we're also in the process of setting up a Patreon account. So, you know, we're hoping at some point to we get the cost of our hosting and all of our movie rentals covered by all you wonderful listeners. So, stay tuned. We'll have some some fun gifts for the different tiers on that site. 
And on that note, why don't we get into our episode? So do you want to announce the movie that we're doing, David, for anyone who didn't see online? Well, today's... Or I guess here, our introduction. (laughs) They didn't hear us say, I'm Chelsea and I like true crime. Oh, no. And I'm David and I love horror movies. Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) See, we're (laughs) trick. This is our costume. We're playing each other. So, yeah, yeah, switching up a little bit. Yeah. But this is a very special one for anyone who's been listening from the beginning for David, because this is one of his favorite movies of all time. Definitely top three in the rotation. Yes, and that movie is Wes Craven's 1984, A Nightmare on Elm Street, introducing us to the world of Freddy Krueger. Yes. On that note, before we get into the movie discussion, why don't we talk about the true stories that inspired Wes Craven to create uh, this amazing franchise all right let's go we wanted to start with a quote from the man himself Wes craven he read about the rash of deaths in 1981 through a series of news articles in the la times in a later interview craven recalled the stories saying quote it was a series of articles in the la times three small articles about men from southeast asia who were from immigrant families and who had died in the middle of nightmares. And the paper never correlated them. They never said, hey, we've had another story like this. The third one was the son of a physician. He was about 21. I've subsequently found out this in a phenomenon in Laos, Cambodia. Everybody in his family said almost exactly these lines. You must sleep. He said, no, you don't understand. I've had nightmares before. This is different. He was given sleeping pills and told to take them, and supposedly did, but he stayed up. I forget what the total days he stayed up was, but it was a phenomenal amount. Something like six, seven days. Finally, he was watching television with the family, fell asleep on the couch, and everybody said, Thank God. They literally carried him upstairs to bed. He was completely exhausted. Everybody went to bed, thinking it was all over. In the middle of the night, they heard screams and crashing. They ran into the room, and by the time they got to him, he was dead. They had an autopsy performed, and there was no heart attack. He had just died for unexplained reasons. They found in his closet a Mr. Coffee Maker full of hot coffee that he had used to keep awake. And they also found all his sleeping pills that they had thought he had taken. He had spat them back out and hidden them. It struck me as such an incredibly dramatic story that I was intrigued by it for a year at least, before I finally thought, I should write something about this kind of situation. Interesting quote about an interesting article that's very specific, right? Yeah, specific and it's really scary. Yeah, well, I and many people before me have gone in search of that specific article. And spoiler alert, it is unknown whether it exists, but it seems likely it does not. So for our discussion, I'm going to go into a series of articles that really were in the LA Times. And they were about mysterious sleep deaths among the Hmong refugees. So the Hmong were at the time a mostly pre-literate or non-literate nomadic people. They were originally from southern China, but had migrated into neighboring Vietnam and Laos between the 18th and mid-19th centuries to avoid political unrest. When the Vietnam War spread to Laos and Cambodia in 1970, the royal Lao government, which was supported by America, recruited the Hmong to fight against the communist troops, and the ensuing conflicts wiped out about a third of the Hmong people. In 1975, the pro-U.S. government in Laos was overthrown by the communist Pathet Lao troops, 
and about 100,000 Hmong fled to Thailand to seek asylum. Some settled in that region, but many wound up in refugee camps. So starting in December of 1975, Hmong refugees began arriving in the United States. Just two years later, in 1977, there was the first recorded night terror death. The first victim of this was Lee Dow in Orange County, California. There's not much available about him online. I found what I think was his gravestone, and it said he was born October 13th, 1951, and died July 15th, 1977, making him just 25 years old. The grave also said he was a husband and a father. So before his sudden death, he worked as a medic, and he had adjusted pretty well to life in America. An Orange County social worker named Joanna Gill, who knew him, said that, Quote, he was such an extreme example because he was so big and robust, and he had been a medic. He was at least sophisticated enough about health matters that he would have known if he was sick. His cause of death was recorded as acute cardiac insufficiency. Over the next 10 years, more than 130 Hmong refugees would die under similarly mysterious circumstances all across the United States. The victims were mostly men with an average age of 33 years old. All were healthy and had lived in the U.S. for 17 months on average. Their frequency of deaths peaked in 1972, and witnesses often reported hearing the person having troubled breathing or shouting out as though in terror before suddenly dying. It was Freddy Krueger, for sure. Yeah. And he's coming for you. On February 26th of 1981, Chelsea, the LA Times published an article by Bill Curry recounting the death of a Hmong refugee in Portland, Oregon. He was 47-year-old Yong Ling Thao, and he had moved to the United States with his wife and eight children from a refugee camp in Thailand in July of 1980. Early in the morning on January 8th, his wife, Zhang Yu, woke up to his labored breathing. Moments later, he was gone. The death struck the county medical examiner, Dr. Larry V. Lumen, as odd not only because a thorough examination gave no apparent cause of death, but because three days earlier, he had received another body of a Hmong refugee, that of 29-year-old Zong Tao Zong, who had died under the exact same circumstances. Lumen began to dig into these cases, and he found from speaking with two other morgue pathologists that in the previous nine months, Two other refugees had died in their sleep with no medical explanation. This made four of these deaths among a refugee population of 2,000 in Portland. He began to contact other cities with large Hmong populations and learned that St. Paul, Minnesota had four identical mysterious deaths among their refugee population of 8,000 Hmong refugees. He found more cases in Seattle, in Des Moines, and Orange County, California. A follow-up article was published in the LA Times on July 12, 1981, written by Evan Maxwell. By this time, a study was being conducted by local health officials and the Center for Disease Control to try to determine the cause of the deaths. They focused on 20 clear cases, those of 19 men and one woman, who were all between the ages of 25 and 65 and were in seemingly good health before their sudden deaths during the night, which in each case was accompanied by them making some kind of noises. Six months into this study, one doctor said of the deaths, quote, We believe they are cardiac in nature, perhaps some kind of spasm or disturbance of the electrical mechanism of the heart. We may never know exactly what causes them. There are so many variables. But at the very least, we may teach the Hmong how to treat and prevent them. Although the number of deaths may seem small, to put things in perspective, there were six cases in Orange County. Four of them were definite and two of them were 
possibly these mysterious nocturnal deaths. Um, That was between 1977 and 1981. And that accounted for almost half of the total of 13 deaths among the Hmong people, which occurred over that same time frame. In Portland, as we mentioned earlier, there were the four mysterious sleeping deaths among the Hmong people between 1977 and 1981. And these were the only four deaths among that population in that time frame. So basically, this was, you know, the leading cause of death among these refugees. Two potential causes, which are discussed in the article, are stress from their relocation to America and a delayed reaction to nerve gas attacks, which took place during the Vietnam War. However, neither explanation was really satisfying to the scientists because none of their bodies showed any signs of being exposed to nerve gas. And many of the victims, in particular that first victim, Li Dao, had adjusted very well to their new life and they weren't showing any outward signs of being overly stressed by the transition. So there was another article that was published on May 10th of 1981 in the New York Times, and that takes a different approach to the story. This article is titled Nightmares Suspected in Bed Deaths of 18 Laotians. And although it discussed the CDC investigation and the initial thoughts that the cause of death was probable cardiac arrhythmia, a large portion of the article was dedicated to a discussion of nightmare death syndrome, which is where a death occurs due to terror induced by a nightmare. This syndrome is also called bangungut, which is the Filipino word for nightmare, because there have been many cases where it is the suspected cause of death for Filipino men between 30 and 40 years old. The article also contains quotes from a few doctors involved in the study, Dr. Roy Barron, a physician epidemiologist for the CDC, who said, quote, There is all kind of speculation, but for the time being, we have no real explanation. All these people seem to have been in good health. Dr. Michael McGee, an assistant medical examiner for Ramsey County, Minnesota, which includes St. Paul, said, quote, I know what they didn't die of. They didn't die of getting shot in the head, stabbed in the heart. They didn't fall off the roof. They didn't get poisoned because we did an autopsy in each case and we got a big zero. By September of 1981, the number of refugees who died mysteriously in their sleep had increased to 35, including three in the city of San Diego. In the LA Times article on September 12th, they report that Dr. Barron traveled to San Diego from Atlanta to look into these cases. They interviewed the county health director, Dr. Donald G. Ramross, who says that none of their theories have worked out and that so far, no one knows what the cause is. It's Freddy. I keep telling them. I know. I don't know why they won't listen. Well, the CDC eventually termed the cause of death as sudden unexpected nocturnal death syndrome or SUNS, which didn't really provide any more information for the victims' families. Their investigations did lead them to make connections between these deaths and reported instances of sleep deaths in certain other Asian countries, including Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand, the Philippines, and Japan. In an article published in the LA Times on July 10th, 1983, the connections between these deaths is explored. In Japan, these deaths are called pokuri, which literally means to pop off um, in reference to, I guess, that sudden death. In Thailand, the syndrome is called lai tai. Lai can mean either screaming or dreaming, and tai means death. And then as we mentioned earlier in the Philippines, it's called Bengungut, which means nightmare. In Vietnam and Laos, they have another term. The term is Dab Song. And this is describing a monster which comes to you in your sleep and presses the life out of you. 
The condition was especially prevalent in Japan, where 80 young men died in Tokyo alone in 1980 from pokuri. And it was estimated that 500 to 1,000 people died of the syndrome in a typical year. Dr. Ikuo Ishiyama, a specialist in forensic medicine at Tokyo University, said that he believed these deaths were related to those seen in other countries. So with time came new scientific insights into the disease. A 1987 LA Times article described Dr. Robert Kirchner's investigation into the cause of son's deaths. When he was working in Chicago as the Cook County Medical Examiner, he came across five cases of sons, including a father and son who died in the same apartment of the same cause, just 15 months apart. Kirshner became an associate professor of pathology at the University of Chicago and decided to study the problem in more depth using data from the Centers for Disease Control and the autopsies of 18 victims. In addition to the standard autopsies, Dr. Frederick Eckner of the University of Illinois College of Medicine conducted a more thorough examination of their hearts and found that all 18 were slightly enlarged and 17 of them showed defects in their conduction systems. And that consisted of fibers that carry electronic impulses from the brain to the heart. Kirshner said that the fibers were frayed as though, quote, their hearts just shorted out. From these findings, Kirshner developed his theory that sometime in the night, these persons' hearts were overloaded by electrical discharge, potentially due to a nightmare, and the pre-existing defect caused the person to die. Kirshner also speculated that the defect may be genetic, since these deaths are far more prevalent in certain Asian communities. He believed that stress may be a factor, since these deaths were much more common in refugees who recently arrived in the States, and with time, the number of nightmare death incidents decreased. In terms of how to prevent nightmare deaths, Kirshner said, quote, The best you can do is try to teach CPR to relatives of those who are at high risk. But that's about it. People have to sleep. In the 90s, sons got a new moniker, Brigada syndrome. Brigada syndrome is a genetic condition which causes abnormal electrical activity within the heart and increases the risk of sudden cardiac death, which normally occurs when the person is at rest. This syndrome is more common in males than females and is more common in people of Asian descent. Anywhere between 1 and 30 per 10,000 people are affected, and it can be especially hard to diagnose because the abnormalities are intermittent, so they can't always be detected using an electrocardiogram. For patients who are showing symptoms, really the only course of treatment is implanting a cardioverter defibrillator, which constantly monitors a patient's heartbeat and shocks the heart if it senses that ventricular fibrillation is occurring. So that would basically be, you know, your heart is... I think it's rather than beating, it starts quivering, and then it would shock it to get it to start beating again. There is one other theory about these deaths, which was explored by Shelley Adler in her 2011 book, Sleep Paralysis. This book focuses more on the question of whether a nightmare can scare a person to death. This theory does not contradict Brigada syndrome as the cause, but asserts that the electrical activity which triggered cardiac arrest was caused by the shared belief of the Hmong in Dab Song, that malicious spirit which would visit men at night and smother them to death that we discussed a little bit earlier. So she interviewed a number of survivors of these uh, nighttime attacks. One man described his experience as follows, quote, A dark shape was coming to me. It came to the bed over my feet, my legs. It was very heavy, like a heavy weight over my whole body, my legs, my chest. My chest was frozen like I was drowning. It was Annabelle, right, David? Yes, Isn't that it was. The, the exact Annabelle experience? Yeah, yeah, that feeling of Freaky. a chest compression. 
So another interviewee described his dream attacker as a large hairy monster, which he said looked like an American stuffed animal. That's terrifying. Yeah, that's really scary. And he also said as he was attacked, he could not move, but was able to hear people's voices in his home. That's kind of the definition of sleep paralysis, where you're aware of your surroundings, but can't move. I had that happen, but then I hear mostly purring and it it was our fuzzy buddy. And he started giving you headbutts. Yeah. Yeah. He's constantly trying to murder us in our sleep. He is. Yes. So Adler likened the effect of the dab song to a nocebo, which I have not heard this term before. Oh, but apparently it's the opposite of a placebo. So when you have a placebo, you are believing in positive outcomes and that's kind of leading to positive outcomes, right? That's the idea of the placebo. Well, a nocebo is the opposite of that. So it's having adverse beliefs which can then harm you or even kill you. One example of this effect was a study where they looked at women who believed they were prone to heart disease, and they found that they were nearly four times as likely to die uh, as a woman who had the same risk factors for heart disease, but did not have those adverse beliefs. So I better stop being so paranoid or else my time will be up sooner than I think. Or actually, as soon as I think, I guess would be the problem. So really, the best thing you can do in that case is to keep the dream demons at bay by turning your back on them and take every bit of energy you gave them they're nothing they're shit do you like that david i added that for you yeah that's good <laughs> i liked it yeah, yeah. In the words so of if you nancy. don't recognize that that's the final words that nancy says to freddie in nightmare on elm street yes dissipate although we'll see how effective that was in our movie discussion <laughs> that's true yeah so i don't really have any discussion points but i guess i did want to say you know that article that Wes craven claims to have read if you have a copy email it to us based on a true crime at gmail.com but it seems like generally everyone on the internet thinks it just doesn't exist and he may have it may have been a cocaine induced fever dream <laughs> But well, you know, artistic license taken multiple, I guess, resources of inspiration for that. Like, you know, maybe saw the research that, that you did. And well, I mean, the research that we're referencing here. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Well, why don't we get into our discussion? <laughs> yes. Just sit tight. If you need a break, take a break for a second, but don't take a nap. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. We'll be right back. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? You just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. What's the coroner got to say? He's in the jaw puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy? There's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Help me, please! Who are you? From West 
Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes, and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nancy is having nightmares. Something in her haunted sleep wants to kill her. Something monstrous. Something unstoppable. But she has more to fear. Much, much more. Her high school friends, she discovers, are having the same fiendish dream. And they are being butchered, systematically slaughtered in their sleep by the predatory monster of their shared nightmare. When baffled investigating police ignore her chilling explanation, Nancy prepares to traverse into a hellish realm of nightmares to wage her own extraordinary battle with the ghastly killer. There, she confronts the dark, decade-old secret of the very real Nightmare on Elm Street. Writer-director Wes Craven, The Last House on the Left, has composed an innovative horror fantasy that will expose your deepest, primal fear. But you can tell yourself, it's only a dream. It's only a dream. It's only a dream. It's only a dream. Can't you? That is a great movie summary. Wow. I didn't write that, though. That was from yeah. the back of the VHS uh, cassette. So cannot take credit. But whoever at New Line we Cinema... did a great job reading it. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> Good job, New Line Cinema marketing people for that write-up of a, uh, the VHS version. So we are all wide awake. And we are talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street. So you know, earlier in the episode, we talked about some of the the dangers of lack of sleep. And, um, you know, that's a theme that is prevalent throughout the Nightmare on Elm Street series. In this episode, we're going to pretty much focus on the first film, interspersed with a couple of sections where we talk about some of the other movies. But just diving in, of course, as Chelsea mentioned, you know, this is one of my favorite movies. I got to see it pretty early on it was i think edited for tv like a lot of the 80s horror movies were when i first caught them and the first time i actually saw it on the big screen was last year at a repertory screening of it for halloween and that was pretty fun so i love freddy i love the character of nancy i just really like the dream world that Wes craven created and i'm a fan of pretty much all of the spin-off movies a Nightmare on Elm Street, starring Heather Langenkamp as Nancy Thompson, Robert England as Fred Krueger, Amanda Weiss as Tina Gray, Sue Garcia as Rod Lane, introducing Johnny Depp as Glenn Lance, John Saxton plays Lieutenant Don Thompson, and Ronnie Blakely plays Marge Thompson, and both Lieutenant Thompson and Marge are Nancy's parents. So this movie had an estimated budget of $1.8 million, and it grossed $25.5 million in the U.S. in its initial box office run, and then the Elm Street series overall has made nearly a billion dollars just over the years. Just from David buying things. <laughs> just yeah. from David buying his full Freddy costume. Yes. And his NECA figures. <laughs> yeah, I do have a full freddy costume and you all may have seen pictures on our instagram but with this episode we'll post some more you know i have a lot of fun with that talking about taglines chelsea are we kind of my favorite yay yes so this is our informal barometer where i read a couple of the taglines and then uh get your impressions on them chelsea and you guys as you're listening at home let us know your favorite all right the first one she is the only one who can stop it if she fails, no one survives. It's too generic. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Yes, I like that one. From suspense master Wes Craven, the director of The Hills Have Eyes and The Last House on the Left, comes a new film of fantasy terror. It's really weird as a tagline. I don't think I've ever seen a tagline like that before. Midnight, baseball bats, and boogeymen. No. Dream a little nightmare of me. Yes, I love that. I want that on a shirt. I want that on a button. Can we actually make buttons of that? Yeah, sure. Why not? A scream that wakes you up might be your own. 
not bad, but not great. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep or you'll meet the terrifying Freddy. I wish that was just whatever you do, don't fall asleep without the terrifying Freddy part. That makes it kind of lame. If Nancy doesn't wake up screaming, she won't wake up at all. That's the best one, hands down. And then finally... The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them in their dreams. That's all right, but the Nancy one is way better. I guess there was an homage to it for the Stranger Things season two, uh, like retro posters they were making. I thought that was a great one. So uh, Wes Craven started working on the script for Nightmare on Elm Street in 1981 after he had finished filming Swamp Thing, which I don't know if any of you are fans of, but it's schlocky. It's fun. It's it's okay. A ton of studios rejected his script with lack of interest. Of note, Walt Disney Pictures was interested, but they wanted to turn it into a children's movie to appeal for kids and teens. And Wes said, no thanks. Oh my gosh. It's kind of funny. I could absolutely imagine it as a kid's movie. Can't you? Make them a little bit younger. No one dies, but they just like fight a dude in their dreams. And then it could premiere on the Disney Channel. Yeah, I don't know. Well, they tried to with the Mr. Boogity. I don't know if anyone remembers that TV movie for the disney channel but it was a similar like creaturey spooky guy chasing people mr boogity yeah like the boogeyman but i don't know how they came up copyrighted yeah i don't know but uh (laughs) that that always reminded me of their attempt at trying to create a freddy krueger well after the fact after he tried disney it went to paramount pictures but they were producing a competing like spooky dream movie called dreamscape with dennis quaid and that that was kind of a fun movie i like it the film ended up at new line cinema which at the time was only distributing films so this was their first original production and because of the success of a nightmare on elm street new line cinema is nicknamed the house that freddy built so finding the right freddy krueger took a while originally they were looking at david warner who is a veteran actor known for i mean he has a lot of credits to his name but of like genre note he's in the omen he's in time after time chelsea i'm so excited to watch that yeah that one did not make the cut for <laughs> of our jack the ripper episode but that's something we'll definitely check out it's hg wells versus is Jack the Ripper with time travel component and he's the bad guy in Tron and he's also listed in a bunch of Star Trek stuff and he's in Titanic Robert England was chosen for several reasons. One was that Wes Craven realized that he didn't need to cast an older actor because he would be covered in makeup. And I've heard interviews with Wes where he has said, like, it wasn't until, you know, they were designing Freddy and they were thinking of older gentlemen to cast where he's like, wait a second, this person's going to be covered in makeup anyway. They, they don't need to be old. The second reason was that Robert was willing to go to the dark places in his mind, according to Wes. And three, well, it was a matter of logistics. The film fit into his schedule between filming of the 1980s Alien Invasion series V. Heather Langenkamp, who plays Nancy, was chosen out of a few hundred actors, which included Jennifer Grey, Courtney Cox, and Demi Moore. And personally, I'm really glad they went with Heather. I think she's perfect for the role of Nancy and lucky enough to meet her a couple months ago. And she's really cool. She actually has a recent episode on the Shockwaves podcast that uh, everyone should check out if you're interested to hear more about what Nancy slash Heather's up to these days. Introducing Johnny Depp as Glenn, who was an unknown at the time. He had been in 21 Jump Street, I believe. And one of the factors, deciding factor, uh, was that Wes Craven's daughters thought that he was dreamy. <laughs> 
He, yeah, he had headshots of the actors that were auditioning for the role, and they were like, this dude, he's cute. <laughs> and it kickstarted his career. A couple of actors who were considered for the role, I don't know if they all tried out or maybe they were just on the hot list, but it included Nicolas Cage, Keith Fur Sutherland, John Cusack, and Charlie Sheen. I can definitely imagine John Cusack in the role. I feel like I've seen him in so many 80s movies when he's young and cute. Like the sure thing, one of my all-time favorites. Oh, that's a good yeah. one. You showed that to me. I had not yeah. seen it before. Yeah, it was but I'm, I'm having trouble imagining Nicolas Cage, Kiefer Sutherland, or Charlie Sheen that young. I could, I could picture. I mean, Charlie Sheen now. No, I mean he has <laughs> morphed into seemingly another person. I mean, maybe he's always like that. But he was known for those sorts of roles, I guess, at the time. I don't know. But it's kind of cool just to think of that. I, I absolutely could not see Nicolas Cage in that role at all. Love Nicolas Cage, but... A Nightmare on Elm Street starring Nicolas Cage and Demi Moore. Yeah, no. No? <laughs> no? Uh, mm, no. I mean, uh, yeah, that's weird. And David Warner as Freddy Krueger. Ooh, there might not have been any more of those after no. that. It would have been very different. Yeah. So the house, the Thompson house plays a big role in the movie. And it was uh, most of the film was shot in L.A. And the Thompson house, which in the film is 1428 Elm Street, is actually located at 1428 North Genesee Avenue. So if you're in town and you live there or you're visiting on vacation, um, be sure to look out for that landmark. And send us a picture of it based on a true crime at gmail.com. Yes, please do. Okay, speaking of influences, so the top half of the episode, we went into depth um, in a lot of these. I'm just going to give a couple highlights as to the things that did inspire Wes Craven. has a couple really interesting things that I've heard him talk about in interviews, and I don't know how well-known they are. So as Chelsea's research told us all about the series of the LA Times articles about people dying in their sleep, there is a small little factoid that I hadn't heard. I don't even know if this is true or not, but it says that the student film in 1968 that was made at Clarkston University, and it parodied contemporary horror films, and it was filmed along Elm Street in Potsdam, New York, which was where Wes Craven was at that university at the time. So that could have been where the Elm Street influence came from. I don't know. So that was not his film. It was another student's film that he watched and I guess maybe liked. Yeah, I guess so. But the really fascinating thing is, you know, how did Freddy come to be? Where did this character come from? Because he's, he's unlike a lot of different movie villains. And uh, I'll read a quote from Wes Craven where he says, quote, A lot of the killers were wearing masks. Leatherface, Michael Myers, Jason. I wanted my villain to have a mask, but to be able to talk and taunt and threaten. So I thought of him being burned and scarred. He also wanted the killer to have something other than a knife. So uh, Wes says, quote, So I thought, how about a glove with steak knives? I gave the idea to our special effects guy, Jim Doyle. And apparently this guy was hired and most of the time he was on set was spent sharpening Freddy's claw (laughs) or his claws, uh, the knives on, on his glove. The initial inspiration for Freddy began when Wes Craven was a child living in Cleveland and he had this super creepy experience that he's talked about where he's lying in bed one night and he heard the sounds of someone shuffling and mumbling on the sidewalk outside of his second floor apartment. And he says, quote, it was a man in an overcoat with a sort of fedora hat. Somehow he, he sensed that someone was watching and he looked right up and into my eyes. So terrified, uh, little baby West retreated into his room, hoping the man would walk away. When he looked out his window again, the man was still there staring up at Craven. When the man tried to enter the building, the future director's older brother ran downstairs with a baseball bat, but the stranger was gone. Whew, that's just really freaks me out. That's terrifying. I can't believe he tried to go into the, was it his building or his house? A oh, second floor apartment, yeah. yeah. 
Ah. Right? And Wes says, quote, the thing that struck me most about that man was that he had a lot of malice in his face. He also had this sort of sick sense of humor about how delightful it was to terrify a child. It's very Freddy. Uh, I thought we would do just a brief dramatic reading of <laughs> from the script. My favorite. Yes. So I'm going to play the role of Tina, and Chelsea is going to play Nancy. And action. All day long I've been seeing that guy's weird face and hearing those fingernails. Fingernails? That's amazing you saying that. It made me remember the dream I had last night. What'd you dream? I dreamed about this guy in a dirty red and green sweater. But, but, but what about the fingernails? He scraped his fingernails along things. Actually, they were more like finger knives or something. Like he'd made them himself. Anyway, they made this horrible noise. Nancy, you dreamed about the same creep I did, Nancy. That's impossible. <laughs> I like your Glenn. Excellent. <laughs> All right. We got one more. And Chelsea again is reading the role of Nancy, and I will read the role of Lieutenant Thompson. And action. The killer's still loose, you know. You're saying somebody else killed Tina? Who? I don't know who he is, but he's burned. He wears a weird hat, a red and green sweater, real dirty. And he uses some sort of knives he's got made into a sort of glove, like giant fingernails. All right. More on Freddy. More than you maybe ever wanted to know about Freddy, because I just can't help myself. <laughs> this is your episode, baby. You do whatever you want. Yeah, we're going to see downloads drop off precipitously. Oh. <laughs> well, to create the look of Freddy, artist David Miller was tasked with the makeup effects on the first one. And then later on part five, the dream child, and then Freddy's dead and Wes Craven's new nightmare. But to begin with the look of Freddy from scratch, his scarred face was inspired when Miller visited a pizzeria, and the legend has it that while eating a slice of pepperoni pizza, he started to think about how to design Freddy's face. That's incredible. That's real? Based on a true pizza. <laughs> Ooh, that should be a button. <laughs> so yeah, David Miller says, quote, I did separate prosthetics on the face that represented muscle, and then over that was the outer skin layer that looked all cheesy and stretchy. So, yeah, cheese pizza. I could see it. So, of course, Freddy gets a major makeover in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. And this is when makeup effects artist Kevin Yeager took over, which we mentioned him in our episode on Child's Play because he created Chucky's look. And he overhauled David Miller's original Freddy design. And this one, to me, is the one that I think of the most when I think of Freddy with the more like pointed witch nose and the more dramatic scarrings. He's just a stronger silhouette. We'll probably talk about this more when we get into the movie, but we just rewatched it. And I have such a clear picture of Freddy in my mind from you know watching all the movies and seeing your costume and seeing lots of pictures. But for a lot of the first movie, his face is really in shadows. Whereas in part two, it's very clear. You, you get lots of very good looks at him. So it's interesting. I wonder if having the prosthetics stepped up a notch they're like we're gonna show it off <laughs> yeah it does seem that way i i like the the good looks you get it, it's it's cool because when you go back and watch that first one i think my perception is yeah you can see freddie great and then it's like like you said he's in shadow and he has like eyes are highlighted a lot or you see just part of his face and i think that's so cool 
Okay, so when I think of Easter eggs, you know, those are like little homages to other projects that uh, are in it for fans, or maybe it's the director doing someone else a favor, just little sneaky things. And one of the things I always thought was really cool and uh, was that Sam Raimi's Evil Dead is playing on the TV in Glenn's bedroom. And that has a neat story. The reason that that is in there is because in uh, Evil Dead, the movie, there is a poster of uh, Wes Craven's earlier film, The Hills Have Eyes. And that was just his way of saying, wow, you know, Evil Dead's awesome. I'm going to include your movie in my movie. Oh, that's very cute. We talked about the inspiration and some of the behind the scenes stuff of the movie, how Freddy came to be, where the dream uh, logic and stuff kind of came from and a a bit of insight into Wes Craven's mind at the time. So maybe some of you have seen the movie recently. Maybe it's been a while, but we're going to walk through the movie. But before we do that, um, Chelsea, what do you think of A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original? It's great. I did not see this movie until we started dating. I had a really great experience watching it with someone who's a very big fan, whose love for the movie is palpable, and it's excellent. I'm always, I don't know if this has come up before, but I'm the type of person that likes a little bit of comedy thrown in with my more gruesome horror, especially when it comes to slasher movies, and this movie does that you know, way better than, I think, something like a Friday the 13th or a Texas Chainsaw Massacre right from the beginning I think he's a little scarier in the first movie and gets a little funnier in some of the later ones in terms of his zippy (laughs) one-liners it is an excellent movie for sure and I think that as we go over the discussion we'll probably wax poetic at many points but uh David what did you think of the movie (laughs) <laughs> I love it. A Nightmare on Elm Street is such a, a great film and it's such a an interesting and different villain than we've seen really in other horror movies in the past. For me, it's really cool because in the dream world, Freddy can do pretty much anything, but it's also up to the strength of the individual that's having these dreams. Like there's the opportunity to outsmart Freddy. Like he can be outsmarted. And I always like the way that throughout the series, we see the protagonist come up with a way to stop him. Um, He is seemingly this unstoppable force. The children on Elm Street are being terrorized, I guess, for the sins of their parents. And the parents thought that they had had stopped a a child murderer in reality. And yet, you know, this murderer was able to come back to life in dreams. They made him stronger. Can you kind of name what it is in particular about this movie that makes it stand out so much more than every other horror movie to you? Because you are, I would say, a super fan. So what is it? Is it the time in your life that you saw it? Is it Freddy himself? As a child, I found myself walking in my sleep and waking up terrified. And I actually did discover A Nightmare on Elm Street. And while I didn't know how to practice any of that as a kid or how to like get out of my dreams, watching the movie, I think, gave me a little bit of relief. But I also think that Nancy's character is so essential to this movie. She's not a superhero. And I think that that makes her really great. The fact that at the end, you know, we mentioned that quote of like facing your fear and taking away Freddy's power by not being afraid of him. And I think that that's a sort of message that is universal and can be very inspiring for people when i think of how awful my dreams were they were just dreams at the time they're really scary but you know you wake up and it's not reality i think it has a really cool message and all the dream images really cool it's a kind of a roller coaster so kind of the fun aspects of it and then the dream elements are really scary Freddy isn't 100% terrifying. He's able to talk and he's able to taunt and just be really creepy. Which is, you know, as Wes Craven said in that quote, it's pretty unique 
at the time in horror movies. There's a little bit of that in with Scream also, which it is his movie too. <laughs> so was the first Nightmare on Elm Street the first of the series that you saw? Or had you seen one of the later ones and then saw Nightmare on Elm Street after that? I had seen the first one first, like edited over TV. I remember who Freddy was and, and Nancy. But it wasn't until Nightmare on Elm Street 4 that I saw in theaters. So I was really young. My dad took me as my first rated R movie. And I feel like that's Freddy at his Freddiest. That's Dream Master. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, the Dream Master. And a lot of people cite part three as their favorite. I choose the first film as my favorite because without that, there would be no subsequent ones. But four has a place in my heart just because of uh, the memories of going to that movie. And also the storyline's really fun. It is very fun. We just saw that at a big screening with a few of the actors at Flashback Weekend. It was quite the experience. I like the girl that gets transformed into a cockroach. Oh, yeah. yeah. Roaches check in, but they don't check out. When we watched Nightmare on Elm Street together... We watched the first one and we watched the whole series within a week or two weeks. And I know I had seen the first one since then because that was a few years ago. But just watching it now, it's kind of striking to me how different the tone is. It's a lot scarier and it doesn't really get into the bizarre as much. You know, the things that she's seeing in her dream, they're just scary. It's like her friend's bloody body in a body bag. You know, the hall monitor turning into Freddy, Freddy with the giant arms. But it is, it gets crazy in some of the later movies in a good way. I like both of them for different reasons. They kind of mix it up with each one. And even though he gets more comedic, I mean, Freddy's still wildly popular. um, And we can talk about that. Let's chat about the plot. We'll hit the beat of the movie and... um, yeah, you can. This is we always treat these as a very abbreviated audio commentary. <laughs> you have to like pause our episode as you're watching the movie. So there's a pre-credit sequence, the prologue, and that is you just see a close-up shot of a creepy individual. How could you know he's creepy? I don't know because I know what's coming. Because he's making a knife hand. That's how you know he's creepy. Yeah, it's not like he's gonna use it to do anything good. Yeah, he's he's making the glove. Tina's being stalked through the boiler room and she sees traces of Freddy here and there. You're just introduced to little bits and pieces of him and that's pretty creepy. This is when it establishes the fact that what happens in your dream happens in real life. Right before she wakes up, he slashes at Tina and she wakes up with cuts in her nightgown. The next day, Tina's like, hey, I had this dream. There was this guy. This is weird. It really bothered me. It really spooked me. And then I think like right away introducing um tina and nancy and glenn and rod they make up a really good group dynamic of kids yeah they're kind of two couples nancy and glenn have a bit of a less tumultuous relationship than tina and rod but you can tell they seem like they're people who have been friends for a long time rod's kind of the clown of the group i mean i feel like you immediately like them and so talking about the dream a bit you know tina's like hey I'm really scared. I don't want to stay by myself tonight. My mom's going to be out of town. Can you guys come over and have a sleepover? And so (laughs) it's really great because when we cut to the night scene, Glenn's like calling his mom to come up with an excuse as to why he's not going to be at home. It's something like that. Yeah. And so he's like... No, he's he's pretending to be home, I think. And his mom's out because he's saying like they're playing these sound effects through a boom box. And he's saying, oh, they're 
they're drag racing outside because <laughs> suddenly there's like engines revving yeah and then it, all of a sudden there's like a gun battle <laughs> <laughs> yeah the tape goes too long because like a sound effects cassette or something and then yeah. it's like people screaming he's like oh no no i think they're oh i better go you know yeah. <laughs> they kind of hear spooky sounds so it sets up you know the fact that oh the, what's going on outside and it's like the screeching sound so you recognize it from natina's dream hearing the nails the freddy's claws on like the wall and so you know she hears it and immediately is thinking of that dream and of course it turns out to be it, douchey rod <laughs> <laughs> yep that rod he's got like this little sharp hand rake he's like ah ha ha funny joke right and they're like you're a jerk rod's like hey tina let's go have sex and she's like okay they go up to their room and it's glenn and nancy and glenn's like hey baby and she's like oh come on we're here to like be there for tina don't be a horn dog just like back off and he's like oh yeah. <laughs> a little dejected there's like a really creepy scene where you see the wall like it's like nancy's in bed and there's this lighting against the wall freddie pushing through the wall like kind of like coming through our reality and like yeah uh, it's pretty creepy. It's awesome. But cutting back to Tina, Tina is having this dream where she goes outside and it turns out Freddy's out there. There's the thing that Freddy does, Chelsea. His arms grow out. They're all like distorted and extremely long so that he could scrape along the walls and then he chases her with like this little weird movement that's very creepy and oh he appears from like behind a really skinny tree that's a really great shot he like steps out and there's no way he could have been hidden behind that tree but he somehow was because it's a dream i love the little touches that they really feel like something out of a dream they Um, do yeah yeah Yeah. and the you know freddie like he cuts off his fingers and they just are spreading the weird yellowy green yeah and i think that's just kind of show that freddie's like i can do anything in this dream i want to like the threat is real like or you know i have the power here or whatever just instill fear and and you know the fear issue comes up at the end of the movie too i thought that was kind of a, a nice introduction to the dream logic part of it but it's awful because Tina is our first victim. The way the movie's structured, it feels like she's going to be the lead of the movie. Yeah, it's a real uh, psycho twist. It is, yeah. Where she is introduced and you think she's going to be the lead. And yeah, she gets it she gets early it. which is a really cool scene it's you're seeing her dream at first and then you end up kind of switching and seeing it from rod's point of view so he sees her being attacked in bed and being cut up by some invisible force and then starts like sliding up the walls onto the ceiling uh which was due to a rotating room from like glenn and nancy's perspective that i guess rod maybe just killed tina in the middle of the night yeah and then fled so nancy and glenn hear her screaming and they're able to get into the room and when they get in she's dead there's blood everywhere the windows open and rod is gone yeah he just he's just like i'm out of here i don't know what happened but he probably knows like he's gonna get the blame or maybe he went to like hunt down who did it well he's also kind of a i don't know if we've mentioned it yet but he's a bit of like a what would you say a a rebel a bad boy yeah yeah so it seems kind of logical and he's definitely had run-ins with the police before so i think he has a bit of a reputation now here's something that i thought's really fun it's a spoiler alert ha 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 but you know the cops show up and then they kind of but they go to the police station and you know he's like oh this 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 is happening these kids and then he's like what is she doing here and it's like the big reveal that Nancy is his daughter and I guess like he's estranged or separated from the mom. Yeah, it works well here. I do like her dad, Lieutenant Thompson, probably more based on the future movies than this movie in particular, but I, I do like him. 
we cut to like the next day and Nancy's like, I'm going to, I'm going to school. Nancy's, you know, she's strong. She wants to get on with things, but she's like, every time the scene happens, I'm like ready. I'm like ready for it. You see like her walk past a set of bushes and then I'm like, Rod's going to jump out and he jumps out and then he grabs her and he's like, don't scream. It turns out like Nancy's dad's been trailing her and I guess guesses that maybe Rod's going to contact her. And then he's like getting ready to explain what happens. And then the, the cops show up and yeah. then he tries, he does this like run. One cop car pulls out and he's like, turn around, run the other way. Another cop car comes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But uh, so they find a knife on him, which looks bad because Tina was slashed. And, you know, Nancy's really pissed off at her dad. She's like, use me for bait. I can't believe, you know, you did that. But she makes it to school after that. <laughs> I'd be wide awake at that point. But no, she hasn't got any sleep because she's been up all night. And this awful traumatic thing happens. So she falls asleep and then she like wakes up and she kind of like goes out of the classroom, right? Yeah, she sees Tina in the body bag kind of standing in the doorway to the classroom. And it's like this crazy then, effect. Yeah. Freddy's there, but he's invisible, dragging yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. It's At first she's standing and then she looks away and then there's just like a thing of blood. So she goes out to investigate and you just see now tina's body at the end of the hallway and like she's on her back but her feet are up in the air being dragged by like an invisible person but i love the hall monitor is like yes. where's your hall pass and she's like screw your hall pass <laughs> that's the best yeah and then the hall monitor is freddy yeah also surprise which is cool. surprise so she gets into the the dream world again and you know sees freddy and then at the last moment she like puts her arm against one of the pipes in the boiler room and it wakes her up out of class and she's screaming she's like it's the middle of class she had her head down. She was asleep. And then she's just like screaming, screaming, screaming. And then she looks at her arm and there's a burn mark. She's like, I have to go. I think that clearly the teacher and everyone understands that she has undergone something traumatic. So she's able to like leave school. She gets home and she's like, I need a bath. Like this has been an awful day. All you want to do is take a bath right after like a day like that. Your friend gets murdered mysteriously and your friend, your other friend is implicated in the crime and then you're having a weird dream. I always like to take a bath when that happens to me. Yeah, me too. I think I take more baths than you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> well, she's taking the bath and while she's drifting off and as she's just falling off into sleep, Freddy's claw like slowly comes out of the water. Yeah, it's a pretty iconic shot too. You're kind of looking at her. She has her legs a little bit apart with like her knees above the water and her like shoulders and head above the water. And you see like coming up kind of between her knees almost is the Freddy claw. You almost want Jaws music to play. It's like, dun it, dun it. Just a little bit. Yeah, Freddie's in the bathtub. She struggles and she gets out. And it's like her mom's trying to get in. And then she gets in and, and Nancy's like, oh, it's okay. I just got too hot or whatever. I, I was just kind of sleepy. It's okay. I was like, she is a strong, strong person. She's this is, Nancy's awesome. I probably wouldn't be able to just pretend nothing happened after that. I would hope not. You got to tell me if Freddie attacks you in your dreams. Yeah, yeah. And, and in the bathtub. This is when Nancy's like, all right, we. I have got to find out what is going on. She visits Rod and he's talking about like what he saw happen, which we were just saying how it was like knife cuts that came out of nowhere and she's like whoa well she recognizes the description of freddy's glove it's like specifically four of them which his glove just has blades on the four fingers this is when nancy's like i am coming up with the plan there's evidence that these dreams can cross over into reality in some way and so she her and glenn are having a conversation and they talk about uh she's gonna fall asleep and glenn is going to monitor her and then wake her up if she's showing any signs of struggles 
She sees Freddy, and he's, like, clearly getting ready to, like, kill Rod. And then he attacks her, and... Freddy's attacking, attacking, attacking Nancy, and she's not waking up. You, like, cut to her thrashing in bed. And then Glenn is asleep. Yes, yes. She she sees him at the jail. She runs back to her house, and then she's kind of in her own room seeing Glenn asleep. Yeah. yeah. What uh, a jerk. Oh, man. So, but fortunately, the alarm starts going off, and then it wakes her up. But then she's, like, she wakes up, and she's, like, very nearly killed. She's, like, in a panic state. And she looks over and then wakes Glenn up and she's like, you bastard. Like, you, ha- you had one job. Like, come on. You had one job. Be a good boyfriend. Be a good person. Oh. You should have been paid attention. But then, uh, man, the scene where Rod gets hung in the prison by Freddy, that's just diabolical. Because yeah, how many cases are there of people who are incarcerated or they're in jail in holding and they end up hanging themselves. Yeah. Oh, it definitely happens in real life. And it, it's kind of part of the setup, right? Because the idea is for them to believe that Rod did kill her and he's guilty and that's why he hung himself. But it's all Freddy. He's so sneaky. <sighs> he is. He's a slinker stinker for sure. So there's Rod's funeral. Nancy and her parents are like talking to her about what's going on. And then this is when she's like, there was a man, the hat, and he was wearing a striped sweater and he was burned. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's very clear on their faces that they recognize that description. Yeah. And it's clear to us as the audience watching their reaction. I really did like that. Very well done. But she's she's whisked off to the dream clinic because I guess her parents are so worried about her. I like this scene. I think, you know, I've seen it in a lot of movies, but she's hooked up to monitor her brainwaves and, you know, everything's going well. And they're like, oh, this is a normal dream. Oh, she's had a little more activity. And it's like when she's interacting with Freddy in the dream, it just like goes off the charts and goes kind of crazy. And then again, they wake her up in the middle of her fighting with Freddy and she pulls his actual hat out from under the blanket. I love that. I think Heather Langkamp did a great job because like, even she seems surprised by it. It's like, what? It's a great moment for sure. And her hair, after the experience she gets in this dream in particular, she has this gray streak in her hair that you know, is still there in her other appearances. I like that. It's, yeah, it's, so good and she immediately is like if i could bring his hat into this reality i could bring him what could we do with freddy in this world where the rules of the dream world don't apply there's a scene where you know she gets home and she's talking to her mom about what's with this hat and you know marge is like oh i got rid of the hat and she's like why didn't you submit it as evidence why didn't anyone get prints or find out what the deal is and she's just oh i don't know but i got rid of the hat (laughs) and then nancy like pulls the hat out of the drawer it's her mom's stash the drawer she always hides stuff in or something she's probably like mom always hides her cigarettes in here or something her uh i said or her booze considering yeah she's got a bit of an alcohol problem This is when, you know, Marge takes her daughter, Nancy, down to the basement and is telling her the story of Freddy and how, you know, Freddy was a child murderer who got off on a technicality and a group of the parents got together and they chased him to, you know, an abandoned warehouse and then they they burned him alive and they took care of the, the child murderer. And she's like, you know, it's okay, honey. I even took his claws. And then she reaches up into, I guess, the furnace nook. Yeah. And pulls pulls out a little satchel that has Freddy's glove in it. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Do they mention the Springwood slasher in this? Or is that in other movies where he kind of gets that moniker? You think they give him the moniker later. Later, yeah. yeah. In later movies. So he's got a good serial killer name 
well, he's got a good serial killer nickname. He does not have a middle name yeah, no that I know name. of. I don't think so, yeah. Should pick one out for him. Tweet at us. Let us know what you think Freddy Krueger's middle name should be. At True Crime Base. Should be Frederick Krueger? Well, they in this movie, they call him Fred Krueger a lot. Fred, most yeah. of the time. I think all the time they call him Fred. Yeah. So it's like the next one, I think, when they start calling Freddy. So it's like, yeah, Fred, Fred Krueger. Frederick James Krueger. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> work out the details it's not like this story has changed anything if anything it's nancy's like now i have more backstory this is where this guy came from yeah. this is awful and it's she's dreaming about a person that she did not know existed including dreaming about this glove that she did not know existed so it, if anything it makes it more real you know rather than her being like oh well i guess he's dead that's it no something's not right freddie's dead oh wait no wait <laughs> I mean, things really start happening fast after this. March has the house barred up, all the windows so that, you know, to kind of protect Nancy. Nancy and Glenn, they come up with a plan that Nancy's going to booby trap the house to bring Freddy into the real world, as we mentioned earlier. But Glenn is next door and, you know, Nancy has set all of these booby traps in the house. She has it ready to go. And she's prevented from contacting Glenn because Glenn's parents, well, her dad in particular, is a terrible, terrible person. And he's like, all this trouble with my boy is because of a woman, is what it, it seems oh like gosh. to me. But I don't think you can put it all on the dad because she specifically told Glenn not to fall asleep. He was supposed to call her at like 1230 or something to wake her up from dreaming. She said specifically don't fall asleep. And... He falls asleep. What we're saying is Johnny Depp's terrible. I mean, Glenn is a bad boyfriend. But you know what happens? Bad boyfriend, Glenn, falls asleep. And I guess his like body gets blended. And maybe they add a couple of hundred gallons of blood to his body. Because he gets sucked into the bed. And then a geyser of blood just erupts out of the bed. It is a lot of blood. Seems like more blood than... Uh... Well... Have we talked about this? So they've actually done rankings of movies. That's like which movie has the most blood in it. I think right now it's the Evil Dead remake. But at one point it was this movie. Probably because of this one specific scene. I love a good geyser of blood in a movie. It's not like there's gore. It's just liquid. That should be a shirt. I love a good geyser of blood. Put <laughs> yeah. it in our red bubble shop. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, so poor Johnny Depp gets blended into just nothing. Glenn's dead. So the cops all come into the to, you know to the house and they're investigating. People are getting sick. The cops are getting sick. They're like, we've never seen this gross of a thing. People are puking. Everybody, like this is too much. This is just way too much. This is like Johnny Depp had a lot of blood in him. Apparently, this is like too much. Nancy has found herself locked in the house. Her mom's on the couch, just like, ah ha ha. Yeah, I locked you in for good. You're gonna sleep and get some rest. This leads to Nancy pulls Freddie into the real world, and then we get her. Let's say she tells her dad. She does, yeah. She tells her dad on the phone. She speaks with him and says, you know, I know Glenn's dead. I need you to do something for me. I need you to wake me up in 20 minutes, which is at 1230. He promises to do it. And then, of course, goes and tells one of the cops to, like, watch the house and get him if anything is wrong. But is clearly not prioritizing waking up his daughter in 20 minutes. She does She does wake up and pull Freddy out. Yes, she is able to pull Freddy out. I commented on this when we were, we were watching, and I don't know if I ever noticed, but, like, when Freddy comes to the real world, he's, like, a little, like, slimy, or, like, sweaty. It's like he was just born. Just a baby fresh out of the dream. I like that. kind of gross. Yeah, it's cool, though. So then you get to see all the all the traps that, you know, earlier there's, like, a montage of Nancy setting these traps, and then they pay off really well. Like, the first one is, like, sledgehammer to the groin. Yes. Freddie goes, does a, oh, 
Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. She's like filled the uh, uh, light bulbs with gunpowder and she's able to like, you know, get to him and turns one on and explodes and he flies over like the sofa or whatever. And like, it's just these really good traps. I was like, is there one where he grabs the handle, door handle that's really hot? And then I was like, oh, that's Home Alone. Oh, he put like grease on the door handle. He gets yeah. trapped. <laughs> yeah. So how does this happen? Uh, she's breaking out windows. Getting the attention of yeah. that cop. Yeah. So she's able to get the attention of the cop who's like, eh, maybe I should go get Lieutenant Thompson. It's like, duh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't think he even goes over there until they see like smoke pouring out of the house because. Well, the smoke pours gets... out because she has lured Freddie down into the basement and then splashes like a flammable on him. And then lights him on fire. Yeah. Because kill Freddy with fire, right? That's how he died in real life. This is how, I guess, we could defeat him again. And then he's like, ah, and he's like burning and burning and burning. And then he kind of, she like runs away upstairs. Yeah, she's up at the door, banging on the door, telling the people that they need to let her out. So the dad and some other cops come in and go to the basement. And I think the door is locked to the basement. They can't get in. And then Nancy notices. It's really creepy. These burning footprints leading up the stairs to her mom's room um right so they like her and her dad go up there and she comes in just ahead of her dad and sees freddie wrestling with her mom and there's fire and he's on fire it's on fire and then her dad kind of comes up right in time to kind of try to put them out with the sheet and so she does see freddie he does see freddie for like a split second and then pulls the blanket away and it's just marge is all burnt up and she's kind of floating and there's like this otherworldly glow coming out of the bed. And then she just slowly like lowers down into it. And then the bed Disappears, just like yeah. is normal again. And yeah, it's pretty creepy. Yeah. And it's like, you know, finally her dad witnesses with his own eyes. He like saw this happen, but he like gives her a second. Like kind of steps out of the room and she's facing the door with her like back to the bed. She's like, like processing these things. And then slowly the sheets stretch out and take the form of Freddy underneath. And then he cuts it open with his claw. And it's such a cool scene. So he appears behind Nancy and she turns around and she says, give me back my mom. Give me back my friends. I take away every bit of energy I gave you. You're nothing. You're shit. I don't believe in you. Blah, 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 blah. And Freddie goes to slash at her and she has turned her back to him. And then he kind of just, and he fades away. Yep. Yeah. That's so great. His powers are just dissolved. He's got, he's got nothing. Yeah. Yep. And that's the end. Or is it? It's or not the end. It? No, it's not the end. JK. Um, it's a bright sunny morning and uh, Nancy's ready. She's all dressed and she's going outside and she's like, bye mom. I love you. My friends are here. And they pull up in the convertible and it's like Glenn and, and Tina and Rod and they're all happy. And she gets in and all of a sudden, really quickly, the top to the convertible goes over it, over the top, top goes up. It's got Freddie's red and green stripes and then it peels off. And, you know, Marge is standing there and Freddie like pops out of the little window in the front door and pulls her in, sucks her in like a way you couldn't even envision a body being able to do that. And, and that's the end. That's <laughs> the end. That's the end of Freddie. Um, and that's the end of A Nightmare on Elm Street, which would then go on to spawn a bunch of sequels due to its success. I think the ending is it's very surreal, like a, almost like a, an alternate ending. Like I feel like there's like a real ending there somewhere. And that's because this the ending that exists as it does now, well, that was mandated by New Line Cinema. 
Um, Bob Shea pretty much like let Wes Craven do his own thing. But at that point, he's like, you know, you can't just end it. We need like something that could allow us, I guess, maybe make more movies. I don't know if they like had concrete plans at the time, but Nightmare 2 came out within, I think, a year. That Bob Shea was probably thinking, oh, yeah. I think he knew he had something special. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's interesting because when Nancy comes back in Dream Warriors, I feel like that little tacked on ending, they treat it like it doesn't exist, right? Because the idea is that her mom did die and she was raised by her dad after that, right? Yeah. So I don't think there's any, and there's no mention of Glenn or Tina or Rod or anyone coming back to life. So Yeah, I like to kind of think of everything from when Freddie disappears and her back's turned. That ending where it's bright daylight is a dream. Yeah, I think that that could definitely be true. That was, for a while, Wes Craven's last involvement involvement in the franchise until the seventh movie he was originally approached to write part three and he did write a screenplay to it but that one didn't get made uh they incorporated some of the elements of i guess his treatment he i guess notoriously did not get royalties for future nightmare on elm street movies until i think it was pretty late in the series which i thought that's kind of really shady that, that they didn't that pay sounds him. really shady yeah um i think it was oh new lines like we had a handshake or whatever and there's nothing in writing that says you own freddy krueger well and it seems like especially if he was turned down by quite a few studios before going with new line you know, it seems like a labor of love it was something he really wanted to get done so he might have taken a not great deal just to get it made to kind of bring it full circle, Wes Craven's new nightmare was a meta commentary on the films. And I think that if any of you listeners haven't seen it, please check it out because I think you'll find some of the things we talk about that inspired the movies. They address a little bit of that in that film. Yeah, it's great. I think it's, is it still streaming on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Oh, cool. So yeah, New new Nightmares on Netflix. What about the Freddy documentary that's really good? Yes, the Never Sleep Again documentary. I think right now it's streaming on Shudder, I want to say. It is not on Netflix. All right, yeah. So you may want to check out Shudder because I think it's on there. And that's really good. There's a lot of great stuff. They cover each film and break it down and they talk to the directors of everyone and the people involved and Wes Craven was involved in the documentary too so he has a lot to say they bring back a ton of the actors from it so it's kind of neat to see where they're at now and you know they're all older but they talked to Johnny Depp oh no they didn't talk to Johnny Depp no yeah he's he's too much of a Mr. Fancy Pants at that point he did uh come back for what Freddy's dead for a split second he's in like one of the commercials so yeah Woo! That was Freddy. Yep. Are you happy? Are you satisfied? Yeah. Nancy versus Freddy. Yeah. Anything left? Well, this episode was super awesome fun for me. I love talking about Freddy. I love talking about Nightmare on Elm Street. So (laughs) it was fun for me too. I love listening to you talk about Freddy. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, so, yes, thank you, listeners, for joining us on this episode to chat about one of my favorite movies. Hopefully, Chelsea will do one of yours sometime soon. I wonder what would that be? It sounds of the lambs. Probably. Ooh, yeah. That'll be a mini-sode in the future. Oh, all right. Wow. I would. You should totally take a whole episode. You generously gave me a full episode. I just feel like there's not as much to talk about for that movie, especially with the backstory. It's not super exciting. I don't. I mean, like the making of it though, and the influences that it had, and all that good stuff. All the awards, all the like cool stuff like that. About Manhunter. Yeah. All the movies. All the subsequent movies. The yeah. novels. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll schedule it. All right. Cool. 
Cool. All right. Before we close down this episode, I just wanted to ask if you had any things now playing. I'm going to say The Guest because we just watched a couple days ago. It's the second time I've ever seen it. And that is a damn good movie. That is a really spectacular movie. I almost want to knock something out of my top five and put that up there because it is great. Yeah, Dan Stevens is incredible in this movie. He is so creepy yet likable. It is the strangest balance. Just go watch it if you haven't seen it. It's probably pretty popular. You've probably at least heard of it if not seen it but it's great. So quickly watch it. You have one more day left of Halloween. What about you? What's your now playing? Uh, my now playing is Freddy's Nightmares, the Nightmare on Elm Street television series. Uh, we put a couple episodes on while prepping for this episode, specifically the Toby Hooper directed No More Mr. Nice Guy, which is a 45 minute episode that shows how Freddy became who he is, the dream demon. Um, it shows Fred Krueger on trial and how he got off trial and how the residents of Springwood burned him up. And then just a little bit of what happened um, after that. And I think while the series exists outside of the formal canon, it's kind of cool to see that. I thought that's fun. This is my now playing. What about coming soon for you? Halloween 3. We've been saving it. Now is the time. I think we're, we might watch it if we can get our editing done today. Watch it tonight and carve some pumpkins. We got uh, two more days till Halloween. 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 Two, two more, more days, days till Halloween. Silver Shamrock. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch that one. So I'm going to have that as my coming soon. What about you, David? As the, I guess, final film recommendation, which we talked about in our special episode at the early start of the month, I'm going to have my coming soon is The Barn. I had mentioned this earlier, but it's a great retro 80s style horror movie that takes place on Halloween. It's a very Halloween-y themed film. And um, it's great. You can buy the um, the Blu-ray on Amazon. Or if you know someone that has it, try to get them to do a screening of it before Halloween if you can. Because it'd be great if you guys caught it this year, this Halloween. So check out The Barn if you any time of the year, really. It'll put you in a Halloween spirit. So thank you so much for allowing me to indulge in A Nightmare on Elm Street and all things Freddy Krueger and Nancy Thompson. We just wanted to uh, say thank you for being with us on social media and everywhere that we're available, which is Instagram at Based on a True Crime, Twitter at True Crime Based, Facebook Based on a True Crime Podcast, and our website Based on a True Crime.com. Reach out to us via email. Based on True Crime at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. By the time this airs, we'll probably have announced our contest giveaway for October. This was a big fun one. Yes, lots of entries. I'm very excited. And yes, stay tuned if you want stuff from us because we are going to have a Patreon soon and we want to give you stuff for your money. Yes. yes. No, thank you everyone for um, all the support you provide to us every day. It helps out a lot. So thank you. To wrap up this spooky Halloween season, just remember, death is but a door. And time is but a window. We'll be back. Happy Halloween. Credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega.
mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.